Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. I'd like to suggest that you take a breath before you say your name to give us time to absorb. If you're like me and have trouble remembering names, it's not as a little space. <laughs> speaker today is John Adraka, who entered formal Buddhist practice 16 years ago at the San Francisco Zen Center, and recently received Dharma transmission. Reverend Draka is a community activist, particularly for the rights of the poor and disenfranchised, and believes that mindfulness practice is 24-7. Every gay pride weekend, you'll find Jana offering an opening blessing from the trans stage. Welcome. Well, good morning, everyone. And um, mm-hmm. apologies for, for being late. Uh, 
the Outside Lands Music Festival is on in uh, Golden Gate Park. And I live on 43rd and Fulton and stood at the bus stop for a long time <laughs> before I realised that there's nothing coming. <laughs> um, it's a miracle to get here so quickly, actually. Um, the cab driver um, happened to be a Buddhist. I got a cab at the Castro and uh, brought me here very quickly and gave me a deal. <laughs> I said, I'm late, I'm late, but I'm sure they're all meditating without me anyway. And he, oh, oh, you know, so. uh, I don't, is there, a, no, I don't have a clock. Can someone, uh, so I don't go on too long. Here's <clears> one. <throat> oh, thank you. Oh, that's a gold one. That's even better. And <laughs> 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 not that we are bothered by such things. <laughs> it was funny. I was thinking with the introduction. Um, boy, that that person sounds really interesting. <laughs> um, this last two weeks have been. Um, quite challenging. I, I don't know how many people are on Facebook, but um, I am. And um, it seems a, an interesting way to communicate with people. And I've been putting little updates on. Um, I don't think I'm being too much of a drama queen when I, I say in that the last couple of weeks I, I thought I was going to die. I got really ill. Um, about two weeks ago, and just didn't know what it was, and I don't like going to the doctor, so I waited. <laughs> um, I'm very much, very, very much like my father. He was the same. He said, "Don't, don't go to doctors. You know, they'll, they'll always find something wrong." Yeah. <laughs> he, he avoided them for years. He was a mechanic in a, an aluminum factory. And uh, he didn't. He just never went near them. And then one day he fell down an inspection pit under a big rolling machine and was knocked unconscious, and was taken to the hospital. So of course they got their hands on him and started to examine him, and they found he had shadows on his lungs. He had a heart condition. He had terribly bad osteoporosis, um, which really had to be fixed right away. Um, all these things. So, of course, when he came home, he said, See, that's why you should never go to the doctor. I was fine when I went in there. <laughs> and look at me now. <laughs> um, but you know how that is when you um, um, become unwell, and it was a kind of a gripping pain and you know what you know oh chest pain and oh I can't breathe and oh it was really quite horrible and um, I uh, kept waiting for it to go and then ended up in the emergency room and, and, and they all sorts of ideas but in the end um, you know they send you home and you're just the same as you were when you went in the first place so um, it became kind of frightening because I couldn't get around. 
I could only go maybe three blocks. I tried that. After a few days in bed, I just started going out. And just a few steps, and this pain was there, and, and I couldn't breathe properly, and um, just went home again. So um, I began to think, well, what's, you know, what, what would happen if this was it? You know, <laughs> I bet you're glad you came for a tune. <laughs> what would happen if this was it? <laughs> but the fact is that we do face that every moment. Um, I think, I can't remember, I was looking at some quotes online, and as you know, I have a terrible memory, and um, my printer hasn't got any ink, so someone, <laughs> someone said, <laughs> someone said the most amazing thing about human beings is that although they see people dying all around them, they live their lives as though that wasn't going to happen to them. Um, does anyone have a memory for that quote anyway? And I thought, well, that's very true, but it seems a surely a miserable thing to do to be that aware of death and that aware of, you know, one of the basic things of Buddhism, one of the basic beliefs that we have such things of impermanence. Well, wouldn't it be awfully miserable to go around thinking about, well, I might die any moment, you know? But there wasn't really much I could do about it. The thought kept coming to mind, oh, well, you know. So then I asked myself, um, if, if this was it, is there anything that you need to do before you go? Is there something that needs to happen, um, something you've not done in your life, um, something that is pushing its way through you that has to happen because I realized actually I was fairly content. I mean, I didn't want to leave out everybody. Um, there's so many wonderful people just sitting right here in this room. Of course, I'd, I'd love to get to know everybody better and it's all about connection. And yet at the same time, I thought, well, really, mm, a couple of things came to mind when I got rid of all the silly things like I never had a dog. I always wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> um, one was something about the Dharma transmission. Um, and it's not something I'm going to go on and on about, but I was reading, if anyone's interested, the, um, the book I find best on this, this subject is this one by um, Lex Hickson, Living Buddha Zen. And uh, he's uh, said to be more the female side of what is often seen as a very patriarchal kind of um, way of being and um, I would recommend this and he talks about passing on the light and there's something to it there's something important about passing on um, an ancient lineage and I hope that there's at least one or two people in this room that might be interested enough, enough in that to talk to me about it at some point um, we all can be part of a lineage which is a very free way to be, a very liberated way to be. So um, just that, that was one thing that came up, that I didn't think that I should have had this passed on um, for nothing. <laughs>
that it has to go further. Um, this is often referred to as the transmission of the light. Then the other thing that came up for me was, well, what's the most important thing? What's, what's left that feels important? And actually it's something to do with telling, telling a story, with writing, for me. But that question right there, what's the most important thing? And that came to mind, Suzuki Roshi said, what's the most important thing? It's to find out what the most important thing is. Uh -huh. <coughs> because just like the rest of life, nobody can really tell you what that is for you. Nobody, you, you'll not find it outside of yourself. That's inside yourself. What is the most important thing? And I, I think of it as a process of uncovering. Um, what, what would that be for you? It's not a bad exercise to think, well, you know, supposing this was the last while, what is there that I still have to do? What, 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 what needs to be done? Not what do I fancy or what do I, you know, what do I feel like, but what needs to be done? And um, I found that a wonderful question. Um, as I say, most things, it seemed like, well, actually, for the first time, now that I kind of was reviewing it, you know, allowing my life to flash before my eyes, you know, um, I felt quite content. Um, and that, that wasn't the case for many years. Um, but there was something. There was something to be still uncovered, still uncovered. I, um, before I realized that I couldn't print anything from my computer, not even trying to fool it with um, printing in color, you know, <laughs> just in case there was some ink in the color thing, even though there was nothing in the black and white one. So I, here's uh, Suzuki Roshi, as most of you know. And I thought, well, what was it actually that he said precisely about finding the most important thing because surely this is the most important thing in life. So I um, was stuck with the book instead of being able to um, being able to just flash through online, you know. So I thought, well, it would be very easy to find in the book, um, you know, he said, what's the most important thing. So I went to the, the beginning and there it is. The most important thing is not to be dualistic. Then I went a bit further. The most important thing is to own your own physical body. That wasn't quite right. That wasn't the quote I was looking for. So, uh, <laughs> then uh, the most important thing is to see things as they are, to observe things as they are. And I realized what I was doing was just... Yeah, it's kind of funny because, as I said, no one can tell you what the most important thing is. And there were many ideas in here um, all about the most important thing. But I believe the only way for us to uncover this is to, um, to look in inside ourselves, of course. Um, and strangely enough, allied with the most important thing 
was a couple of interesting things that he said around death. He says, to live in the realm of Buddha nature means to die as a small being, moment after moment. When we lose our balance, we die, but at the same time we also develop ourselves, we grow. Whatever we see is changing, losing its balance. The reason everything looks beautiful is because it's out of balance, but its background is always in perfect harmony. This is how everything exists in the realm of Buddha nature, losing its balance against a background of perfect balance. So if you see things without realising the background of Buddha nature, everything appears to be in the form of suffering. But if you understand the background of existence, you realise that suffering itself is how we live and how we extend our life. So in Zen, sometimes we emphasise the imbalance or disorder of life. Oh, there was one other. Let me see. I've mar marked these with a big black D. D for death. <laughs> oh, so here's one other most important teaching. This one is the most important teaching. <laughs> you ready? Now, this, this will reveal it all. This, this is really the most important teaching. Not two, not one. That's it. <laughs> it's very interesting that we spend so much time looking for a meaning, you know, trying to find something outside of ourselves when it really it's absolutely inside. It, it, um, how many people have seen that movie, Young Frankenstein? <laughs> so we know ah sweet mystery of life at last I found you um, so, so, <laughs> isn't laughter wonderful <laughs> it's actually so I'm just reveling in being able to talk and breathe and laugh right now it was only three days ago that this, whatever it was, clamped down feeling on my chest, lifted up. Um, I did have some good alternative speakers lined up, just in case. But, um, <laughs> really, I'm awfully glad to be here. It, it reminds me of um, Time magazine were interviewing uh, folks, different religious folks, about um, miracles. And they were interviewing Michael Wenger, who's a wonderful, wonderful priest up at Zen Center. And they said, well, do Buddhists have miracles? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure we do. And he said, well, give us an example of a Buddhist miracle. And Michael said, the next breath. <laughs> So much. <laughs> so ju just to um, oh here's another one. The most important point is to own your own physical body. Did we have that one? If you slump, you will lose yourself. <laughs> I hope you're not slumping there. <laughs> 
Look out, we've got a sniper. <laughs> After some years, we will die. If we just think that it is the end of our life, this will be the wrong understanding. But on the other hand, if we think that we do not die, this is also wrong. We die and we do not die. This is the right understanding. Some people may say that our mind or soul exists forever and it's only our physical body which dies. But this is not exactly right because both mind and body have their end. But at the same time it is also true that they exist eternally. Don't you love it? <laughs> <laughs> Even though we say mind and body they are actually two sides of one coin. This is the right understanding. So, it's uh, interesting to read other people's understanding of life and understanding of the most important thing in life. But the only way to discover what that is is actually to look inside ourselves. Um, no one can say, well, here you are, this is, you know, this is what you should do. You know? um, there's a, a wonderful um, singer that I, uh, called Nathan Tate. Nathan Tate rediscovered as the CD. And um, he, was, he brought out some very famous songs in the 70s um, and then disappeared on a kind of wild drug trip for years and then was rediscovered. And one of my favourites, I often wish I could play music during talks, one of my favourites of his is uh, Don't Compromise Yourself. Don't compromise yourself, you're all you've got. Um, and that one's really been resonating in, uh, in the rather dark little cave I was in in the last couple of weeks. Um, staying true to oneself, but, I mean, what is that? How do we, how can we investigate this? How can we know? And I say that we actually do know already. Everyone in this room knows inside of themselves what the most important thing for them is and how to get there. No one outside of you can tell you. You all know this already. It's like enlightenment, illumination. If you didn't already have it, it wouldn't be possible. So, the illumination that you seek is inside, and we all have access to that. It's called intuition, inner tuition. And all the great shamans from Buddha, who after all was a simple shaman sitting under a tree, to the Delphic Oracle, to all the great prophets, everyone. Everyone was sitting under the same tree looking at the same thing. And you are connected to all of that. You have that teaching right inside of yourself. So my encouragement to you is, there's a, a phrase on the Han, the wooden block that we have, the, that is hit in the monastery to, to call people to different uh, to meditation and talks and it says on there um, great is the matter of birth and death awake, awake each one do not pass your days and nights in vain 
So that's the great call to action. How do you not pass your days and nights in vain? And the only way to find that answer is inside, to look inside. Of course, then we can get into the subject of no inside, no outside. <laughs> um, for years, I uh, felt as though I was acting as though. It's not something that, it, it, it's not instant coffee. But I just really want to encourage people to delve in and see what happens. I'd like to open this up to discussion because every single person in this room has the wisdom that they're seeking. Um, you know with these talks that I don't write anything down and I think it's very important to trust what comes out of your mouth. I notice that when I go to the computer before I have a talk to give, I'm thinking, who can I find to back up these ideas? You know, let me, let me find people to quote, usually, you know, dead white guys that have said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that usually, you know, that... And, uh, and then I think, you know, this is, this is kind of just a nervousness. There's something a lot bigger than us here. You know, what on earth is inhabiting this vessel anyway? And what's inhabiting all of those vessels? And what's really going on? What is this that's coming through? Wouldn't it be a shame to spoil it by writing it down beforehand? <laughs> what is this? Who is sitting here? This is the mystery of life. I, I forgot, I meant to bring my favourite book with me, um, there's a, a book I've been carrying around for about 30 years and it's called Masks of the Universe. It's not the other one, Masks of God by what's his name. Um, it's a very scholarly kind of dry book. But why I find it fun and liberating is that it's a history, a kind of a metaphysical history. It's a history of what we thought in the West mainly what we thought made the world tick. So it starts off with animism. You trip over a stone and you go, bad stone, you trip me up. You know, you move into the mechanistic age. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? You move into quantum physics. He goes in, it's that recent of a book. Oh, now we know what makes things work. It's quarks. No, no, it's string theory, you know and so on and so on. So basically the fun thing is to get the book and just open it at any page and look and see, oh my goodness, well that's what they thought made things tick then, ha 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 ha. We're so much more advanced now. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact is that it is the sweet mystery. It is the sweet mystery. How awful if we knew the answer. How awful. That would be a dead end. The open, the, the curiosity, the constant, what is this, what is this? So, openness, curiosity, and what's the most important thing? <coughs> so, let's hear from anyone who has something to say. Well, I have, I have a question yes. I'd like to ask, but I'd first like to 
thank you for being here. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful blessing so for all of us to have you here. Um, Suzuki Hiroshi, when you read from him, you read a line from him that said that the mind and the body are two sides of the same coin. And so when I think of mind, I, I sometimes think of the mind that, that holds and causes all the, all the chatter that really takes me away from what I think the truth is. And so when he's using the mind in that context, I'm not exactly sure how he's referring to the mind. It must be different from what I'm thinking of the mind that holds all that mind chatter. But why is it different? I don't, I don't know. I, I always rather thought that that mind that held the mind chatter was more of an illusion than, than a reality. So that's probably the one to drop, out of, you know, the choice of minds to drop, that would be the one to drop. But are there other minds? <laughs> <laughs> are there minds in the first place? It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Um, for, for the first couple of years when I, I got into this kind of meditation, because I, I practiced many different kinds before that, um, I thought the idea was to stop all that chatter, all that blah, blah, blah. Surely this was not, you know, the great mind. Surely the, the mind that I would like to have would be one that was forever solving world hunger and, um, you know helping people out in their life. I mean, surely my mind would have lovely things in it. If only I could get rid of this, you know, look at him, what's he wearing? Oh, look at that. <laughs> if only I could get rid of that, then, whoo, it'd all be plain sailing. You know, it's like catching the golden ring when you're going round, you know. It's like that movie, The Little Buddha, you know, where suddenly, bingo, he's enlightened, and I have nothing bothers him anymore. I mean, it's all plain sailing. Well, I would just say, don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> what I found out is it actually is possible to stop the thoughts. And this is not something that's taught in, um, openly in any school of Buddhism. It's actually called the jhanas, J-A-N-A. Um, but it's, um, it's an interesting way to work on concentration. But the fact is that this blah, blah, blah is the enlightenment. Everyday mind is the way. There isn't actually anything outside of this na 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 That's what the mind does. The, the mind produces thoughts like the body produces sweat. So it's just what it does. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. So if we can leave things, as most things are less troublesome, if you can leave them, it just is. You know? <laughs> it's neither good nor bad. It doesn't make any difference. You don't have to pay a lot of attention to it because you know it's not really worth it. You know, look at that. You know, what's for dinner? I mean, you know, it's really not worth paying a lot of attention to. It hardly ever goes, danger, Will Robinson, you know, jump out the way of that car. That's more an instinctive thing. So you can pretty much let it go blah, 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 and stay focused on meeting what's right here. That's just distraction. You know. mm. You might as well walk down the street talking to yourself as paying attention to all that. You know. I mean, if you're working on something and figuring something out, well, sure, 
you know, you're calculating, you're, you know. But otherwise, there's really not much point to it. <laughs> so in that way, it silences itself. You know. It's like a little child, if you don't... Well, that's a bad example. <laughs> Obviously never been a mother. I was going <laughs> to say it's like a little child. If you ignore it, it will be quiet after a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was a school teacher for a number of years. <laughs> I'll say that in expiation. <laughs> Any anyone else have uh, words of wisdom? Yes. I, not much, not particularly wise, but um, when you were talking about being in dying, going to die, friends of mine, and obviously I'm not. But the only thing, and talking about what this has been done, and the only thing that came to mind is, who cares? What difference does it make? And, uh, and I couldn't come up with anything else. It just kind of like, why go there? Well, you know, you, there's no reason to if it doesn't, if it's not a question that resonates with you. There's no reason to sit around thinking about it at all. Um, I um, actually have had a practice of looking at um, death for a number of years um, as a traditional monk. Monks often go do things like, for example, visit the burning ghats on the um, banks of the Ganges River so they can watch people being burned alive or there's the uh, practice of watching decaying bodies. Um, uh, I, don't, I haven't done either of those, but living in a body to me brings up that question because this body is decaying um, there's nothing I can do about it so if I can uh, just not worry about you know, oh I don't want to think about dying but to me it brought great reward in as much as it made me realise what I was living for that there is something that I'm doing that there is um, purpose even if it's an illusory purpose <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, it's not something that, that you have to sit around and puzzle about, you know. Um, I think it's just one of those questions that comes up every now and then. Um, I remember <coughs> when I was at the monastery, um, there, Frank Ostapesky, who started the Zen Hospice, came and did um, a workshop, and it was really one of the best workshops I ever went to. And what happened was you all sat around the table in groups of six, maybe, and you, when they hit the bell, you had to turn to the person um, to your left and start telling them about your life and what had been important in your life. And then someone at the front, uh, every few minutes, would call out a number. And if that was the number of your birth month, um, then that was you dead and you had to leave the room, right? So it was a really interesting game, um, and I started talking as quickly as I could. <laughs> well, let me tell you, but unfortunately the person next to me had already started talking to the person next to them, so I couldn't tell anyone. And it, as the numbers started to come out, like the idea that I had to tell someone what happened in my life because it was important, was, you know, that the, and then suddenly, not ten, and I was out. 
And then the experience of standing, it was at Tassahara Monastery, if any of you have been there, um, in, it was at night, and so you had to step outside the dining room, which is all rough stone, and there you were standing outside the dining room looking in at all these people that were still alive and were busy telling each other frantically about their life. So um, ever since then, actually, I've done a kind of check-in every day because I don't find it a miserable subject. Um, it's not something we have to talk about all the time, but to look at death to me brings up just the sparkle in life. You know, if it went on and on forever, uh, Suzuki Roshi says, uh, if, it, if life went on and on forever, then we would have personal problems. <laughs> 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 so it's the fact that it's fleeting, I think, that makes it so beautiful, and to pretend otherwise is just uh, kind of silly. As you were talking, I was thinking about uh, what Jung said, that um, for those who go inward, what, uh, those find the secret delight through self-awareness mm -hmm. and exploration. But I was interested in also in what you said about um, that the play of our mind, the thoughts that come and go, are the enlightened nature. And what I had, uh, what I had learned was that while these, this play of the mind is intrinsically empty and therefore not different than, let's say, the Dharmakaya, that there is a difference between the play of the mind uh, and the nature of the mind, at not two, not one. I think the nature of the mind is play. <laughs> Hmm. Mm -hmm. well, one of the most enlightening things I ever read was on the tin of a the lid of a tin of mints and I think it was from the Hindu belief system and it said something like don't ever forget that this is just the role you get to play this time round so fully explore it and enjoy it you know I experienced that sensation writing plays. Characters are speaking to each other, and yet they have arisen from one vehicle. But that vehicle splits into a multiplicity of perspectives and must sit in each character, each chair, in, in order to... Um, feel the world or think the world or see the world through each of those prisms and yet they've arisen from this one vehicle and that to me feels so much like that absolutely and I think we're all fabulous vehicles we just have to find out what needs to come through <laughs> yes I'm uh, fascinated by your account of that uh, uh, game that you played about telling your life and people dying and going off. And what happened uh, when your number was called and you said you went off uh, about the urgency to tell your story? Did you now have a new group of people to no, tell your story? No, you, just, you were just standing there and, and watching and realizing 
way, you know, there is something, because I've been through a great depression in my life and, you know, post-traumatic syndrome, feeling like nothing's worth it. You know, I've wakened up thinking every day is a grey day and there's nothing. Um, but to, to feel inside that urgency, wait a minute, there is something. There is something I have to do. I don't know what it is, really. And I'll just go along and see what comes out. But there is something. So it made me feel a real... Um, there was a force in life that it was sheer ego to think that I was directing things. There's something that needs to come through. It's Dylan Thomas, the force that through the green shoot pulls the flower. It's, it's that. And to discover that there was an urgency to life, to to something was beyond beyond value for me. Um, especially, as I say, coming from a background where often life didn't really feel... You know, life was way too unfair, <laughs> way too horrible to uh, have any real value. You know. So it allowed me to see that, the value of it. Well, I'm still curious about the urgency to tell the story that you had while you were amongst the living, that it just disappeared when you... No, it was replaced by regret. Replaced by regret. That I hadn't made it, I hadn't done it, I hadn't got it out of my mouth. You hadn't had the chance. I hadn't had the chance to do it. Mm. And that's what was happening in this last couple of weeks. I felt like wow, I might not have the chance. And at first I was thinking, well, what would I miss? And it was things like being able to walk on the beach. I love that so much. And and then it became kind of a bigger question. But wait, what would you really miss doing? What is it that has... Is there something? And of course one answer is no. Please, everybody study harm reduction in Zazen and help out poor people. There we go, I've passed it all along. But at the same time... <laughs> There's something that is unique to all of us, no matter what we feel about ourselves. It doesn't matter. There is something unique that we all have, and it all needs to be offered. And, and that was kind of what came up for me. With that. Um, I shouldn't go on too much longer. I had a, I was looking at some poetry. Now this afternoon. Um, I got up off my sick bed to talk to you folks, and then this afternoon it's the Gay Buddhist Sangha. I think they should make a retreat day out of this. I think they should all come this afternoon. <laughs> it was interesting to... Um, it was an extra wee challenge to trust that two completely different talks were going to come out of my <laughs> 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 Um but uh, I was looking for um, a poem that is kept coming to mind for this afternoon, which is a completely different talk. And I found this, and it made me think of all of you, because of, I think that we didn't get this far by submitting and we didn't get this far by giving up. We got this far in our lives by moving on despite great odds. Um, 
and I have such admiration for everybody. And that's, you know, my mother always said, don't give me the roses after I die, you know. <laughs> I think you're all wonderful or you would not be sitting in this room, right? You're all wonderful. And I thought, you know, the, the struggles, really, when you think of what we've been through in our lives, everybody... I mean, we're all heroes. The very fact, even if it's a bad day, you still decided to stay alive today. I mean, my goodness, what a treasure, you know. Um, one of the old Zen sutras says, uh, you know, life is gone in an instant, vanished in a flash. Please, honoured followers, do not waste your time. So... This poem suddenly made me think of all of you, and, and I, as you know, I, I am a, a Zendo-free monk. <laughs> um, the place I was is no longer accessible to me, and um, so I, I tend to think of the flowers that that are offered are the ones growing in the fields, and um, the altars that we make are whatever occurs in front of us when we meet each other. And then this one, um, so this is my tradition. This is uh, Rabbi Burns, Robert Burns, um, that well-known Scottish poet. Uh -huh. <laughs> he wrote Auld Lang Syne, you might, you might know that one. He was a um, poor plowman in the 18th century, um, and I can recommend his poetry. He was a, um, a socialist. He went against organised religion, good for him. Um, he was a great lover and uh, a wonderful, wonderful poet. And he was very taken with the uh, fight for independence in America. He has a lot of poetry around that. And this is um, an inscription for an altar of independence. Mm -hmm. And this is my little tribute to all of you because this is what I think we, we build when we meet. Thou of an independent mind, with soul resolved, with soul resigned, prepared power's proudest frown to brave, who wilt not be nor have a slave, virtue alone who dost revere, Thy own reproach alone dost fear. Approach this shrine and worship here. The shrine of the independent mind. Well, thank you all very much. Unless anyone has a, a burning question, we can come Oh! Well, I just said, yes. the, the story you told about uh, not having a chance to talk about your life and sit outside while live people were inside, very, very picture. And I wondered if you ever had a chance to, within that group, afterwards, to discuss your feelings and, and, and experience. I mean, was it... After that exercise was over, was it like a process? Oh, no, it was a process. We all came back together and um, talked about how that felt and um, how 
satisfied the people felt they got to say something. <laughs> that the rest of us were going to be haunted forever by the idea of standing outside. You know. No, it was a very. It was part of the training for the Zen hospice folks, um, which I can highly recommend. In fact, I. I help to train the people at the Zen Hospice. I'm doing that on Tuesday coming up. Well, it's, so, so it didn't end, but... No, I mean, no, you can all just stand there and be upset. No, no. We got, we got together afterwards and talked about it and said, well, what, what did you find out, basically? Uh, you know, what do you... Know? And it was just basically urge to to get to whatever it was you've been putting off in life. You know, I'll do that tomorrow well, you can't be sure of tomorrow, so what is it you're trying to put off? I thought we'd leave it now. That was a painful image to carry. Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> yes? I, I'm, I'm uh, left with the idea that all there is is some brilliant, silent mystery. That's absolutely all, and of course those are just words. So whatever their quote is, unquote, is way beyond that and left with that idea running my life that everything is just this brilliant, silent, incredible mystery. You know, I have a sign on my wall hanging that, and I look at it and say, oh, wow, you're a gorgeous mystery today. But uh, the, the most, it appears to me the most I can do is to have fun. I, I don't know that the mystery is that silent. I think we're all the mystery. Uh, the, I, I don't think the mystery is that silent because I think we're all the mystery. We are that, that. I mean, it's not some esoteric thing away up there that we can never get to. This is it. The, the, the music we have is the music of our voices. The visions we have are the visions of each other. We are the treasure. There isn't another treasure somewhere else. No, they all, those all sound like things, of course. Well, um, perhaps that's a, my lack of um, yeah. skill in, in speech. Of course, of course, of course, of um, course. Uh, yeah, I guess it's more a heart feeling. A heart feeling of connection rather than separate things. Do you um, have periods of, uh, of not recognizing yourself? Of just being, waking up and not um, having a sense of continuity? <laughs> um, or, or like a sense of ashes that just comes unbidden or, un, you know, in the midst of a, a full flow, you can, you can have a great experience of um, gaping emptiness or something. Yeah, when I first took up meditation practice, I was spurred into it by a terrible feeling of gaping emptiness. Um, because I couldn't actually see. Uh, I mean, yes, things, everything was ashes in my mouth. It wasn't... I was going through a very difficult time in my life and really couldn't see the point. 
And over the years, that that time in that kind of state has diminished um, and rarely occurs now. But um, I would completely attribute that to practice, to, to focusing in um, on what's going on. But experiences such as that, as that are also just what is. But I, I would really say to, to work with it, to focus in on the meditation. Um, but, you know, as Suzuki Roshi says, both things are always there. There is the, the, the life and the excitement and the interest, and then there's the other side too, which is you know, not so interesting. Um, I just wish you strength to get through the times that are not so interesting. You know, that can be useful to look at too. My teacher, Blanche Hartman, um, her husband... Lou Hartman, who's a wonderful guy to talk to if anyone would like to. He's 93 now, I think. Um, Blanche would always encourage me to look at things the way Lou did because when I first went into practice, I had a terrible depression going on. And Lou would write it on the calendar, um, you know, when the real bad days were. And then he began to see that it indeed was a cyclic thing. And most of, uh, it's, it's worth doing that because it actually is a good key to a lot of those kind of mind states. And it helps to see when they occur because then you kind of prepare for it. Um, but I would also say that those states you really, really can work on and transform those kind of states because I, I'm sitting here as, a, as an example yeah um, I really there were times in my life when I really didn't want to be here at all and that kind of feeling can transform so just yeah <clears throat> I'm here for the second time because of you and knowing you were going to speak and that's because <clears throat> I enjoy how you facilitate the communication that says there's no separation between us. So I go from meditation where I feel no separation between us, and then you speak and it comes from a place of there's no separation between us. This is the most beautiful moment. Thank you. Thank you. We should take a couple of moments for announcements. Well, um, it looks like we're going to be doing another uh, booth at, at Castle Street Fair. The vaccinations are underway. And that's still always away. It's in October. But um, uh, I, I'm responsible for seeing that, that the booth staff. So if anybody wants to donate an hour of their time during uh, that, that, that day, um, we'd like to have like, two people per hour. Uh, if you can get a hold of them. And I'll be making this announcement between now and then. What's the state? So you'll be here all over, all over every Sunday. Um, you know, I, I'm so. I, it's in October. October. The first Sunday in October. Oh, okay, good. So, so, so uh, uh, yeah. If, if, if you want to be part of this, it's it's a fun thing, and it won't be too onerous for an hour of your life. Uh, let me know, and I'll be general list. A reminder that our talks. 
are available on the internet at the GBF website, thebuddhist.org. Uh, Howard asked me to uh, remind people that next week we, we do not have a speaker, but we're encouraged to bring some spiritual reading, uh, something that has inspired us or has had a profound effect on us to share with the group. So that'll be the uh, discussion. I mean, it'll be a large group uh, experience next week. Spiritual readings from each people, each person. Yes, uh, I want to remind everyone we have an account at Community Thrift, which is at uh, 623 Valencia near 17th. It's painted various shades of Pepto-Bismol pink. You cannot miss it. Uh, they take donations uh, every day from 10 to 5, and I'd recommend checking the website because it's a long list of things that would be obvious donations that they don't accept. But last quarter, we, we made over $300 from that, so it's really a way for the song to make money if you do uh, recycle with your treasures. So I would encourage you to think about that. Yeah, we're, um, uh, we're going to be sort of re renewing our website, and I especially want to ask if people have um, Buddhist-appropriate or gay Buddhist um, photos that we might use in the website. You know, if you have photos from our retreats or from a session here or the altar or some inspiring image that you think might be appropriate on the site. Uh, our annual retreat is three weekends away, September 18th through the 20th at Rashtrapani Institute, which is in the Santa Cruz Mountains. There are two deadlines coming up. Tomorrow is the deadline for asking for scholarship money, and next Monday, the 8th, is uh, the deadline for registration. So if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Do we have a host today? We do. Um, Richard, your host today. Uh, there are organic strawberries, um, ginger cashew cookies, and dates stuffed with pecans. And they're all finger food, so I would encourage you to wash your hands before you partake. Um, there's tea available. Um, we ask you to wash your cup up in the sink. There is soapy water, so your mother doesn't live here, so please wash your cup. Uh, the Sangha has a um, custom of asking for uh, Donna donations from five to eight dollars. Uh, it's totally up to you. I would encourage you to not give until it hurts, but give until it feels good. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet if you want to be part of the uh, uh, emails, and I think you can also sign up for mailings, if that's correct. And there is a group that meets for lunch at 12.30 by the door. If you're interested, just hang around by the door, and uh, that's where you will find those people. Tempted to do the hokey cokey. <laughs> <laughs> you know that bumper sticker, what the hokey cokey really is, what it's all about? <laughs> Perhaps we'll try the refuges instead. <laughs>
I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. I take refuge in Buddha as the perfect teacher. I take refuge in Dharma as the perfect teaching. I take refuge in Sangha as the perfect life. Now I have completely taken refuge in Buddha. Now we have completely taken refuge in Sangha. Now we have completely taken refuge in Dharma. Blessed be. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.